This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk From October to Brest-Litovsk by Leon Trotsky Chapter 20 Collapse of Kerensky's Attempt Meanwhile, telegrams spread the report all over the country and abroad that the Bolshevik adventure had been disposed of and that Kerensky had entered Petrograd and was establishing order with an iron hand. On the other hand, in Petrograd itself, the bourgeois press, emboldened by the proximity of Kerensky's troops, wrote about the complete demoralization of the Petrograd garrison, about an irresistible advance of the Cossacks, equipped with much artillery, and predicted the imminent fall of the Shmolny Institute. Our chief handicap was, as already stated, the lack of suitable mechanical accessories and of men able to direct military operations. Even those officers who had conscientiously accompanied their soldiers to the lines declined the position of commander-in-chief. After long deliberation, we hit upon the following combination. The Garrison Council selected a committee of five persons, which was entrusted with the supreme control of all operations against the counter-revolutionary forces moving on Petrograd. This committee subsequently reached an understanding with Colonel Muraviev, who was in the opposition party under the Kerensky regime, and who now, on his own initiative, offered his services to the Soviet government. On the cold night of October the 30th, Muraviev and I started an automobile for the lines. Wagons with provisions, forage, military supplies and artillery trailed along the road. All this was done by the workingmen of various factories. Several times our automobile was stopped on the way by Red Guard patrols, who verified our permit. Since the first days of the October Revolution, every automobile in town had been requisitioned, and no automobile could be ridden through the streets of the city or in the outskirts of the capital without a permit from the Shmolny Institute. The vigilance of the Red Guards was beyond all praise. They stood on watch about small campfires, rifle in hands, hours at a time. The sight of these young armed workmen by the campfires in the snow was the best symbol of the proletarian revolution. Many guns had been drawn up in position, and there was no lack of ammunition. The decisive encounter developed on this very day between Krasnoy Selo and Tsarkoy Selo. After a fierce artillery duel, the Cossacks, who kept on advancing as long as they met no obstacles, hastily withdrew. They had been fooled all the time by tales of harsh and cruel acts committed by the Bolsheviki, who wished, as it were, to sell Russia to the German Kaiser. They had been assured that almost the entire garrison at Petrograd was impatiently awaiting them as deliverers. The first serious resistance completely disorganized their ranks and sealed the fate of Kerensky's entire undertaking. The retreat of Krasnov's Cossacks enabled us to get control of the radio station at Sarkoy Selo. We immediately wireless the news of our victory over Kerensky's forces. 
Our foreign friends informed us subsequently that the German wireless station refused, on orders from above, to receive this wireless message. Footnote. I cite here the text of this wireless message. Selo Polkovo, General Staff, 2.10 p.m. The night of October 30th, 31st will go down in history. Kerensky's attempt to march counter-revolutionary forces upon the capital of the revolution has received a decisive check. Kerensky is retreating. We are advancing. The soldiers, sailors and working men of Petrograd have shown that they can and will, gun in hand, affirm the will and power of proletarian democracy. The bourgeoisie tried to isolate the army of the revolution, and Kerensky attempted to crush it by Cossackism. Both have been frustrated. The great idea of the reign of a working men's and peasants' democracy united the ranks of the army and hardened its will. The whole country will now come to understand that the Soviet government is not a passing phenomenon, but a permanent fact of the supremacy of the workers, soldiers and peasants. Kerensky's repulse was the repulse of the middle class, the bourgeoisie and the Kornilovites. Kerensky's repulse means the affirmation of the people's rights to a free, peaceful life, to land, food and power. The Polkovsky division, by their brilliant charge, is strengthening the cause of the proletarian and peasant revolution. There can be no return to the past. There is still fighting, obstacles and sacrifice ahead of us, but the way is open and victory assured. Revolutionary Russia and the Soviet government may well be proud of their Polkovsky division, commanded by Colonel Walden. May the names of the fallen never be forgotten. All honor to the fighters for the revolution, the soldiers and the officers who stood by the people. Long live revolutionary and socialist Russia in the name of the Council of the People's Commissaries. Leon Trotsky, October 31st, 1917. The first reaction of the German authorities to the events of October was thus one of fear fear lest these events provoke disturbances in Germany itself. In Austria-Hungary, part of our telegram was accepted and, so far as we can tell, has been the source of information for all Europe upon the ill-starred attempts of Kerensky to recover his power and its miserable failure. Discontent was rife among Krasnov's Cossacks. They began sending their scouts into Petrograd and even official delegates to Smolny. There they had the opportunity to convince themselves that perfect order reigned in the capital, thanks to the Petrograd garrison, which unanimously supported the Soviet government. The Cossacks' disorganization became the more acute as the absurdity of the plan to take Petrograd with some thousand horsemen dawned upon them, for the supports promised them from the front never arrived. Krasnov's detachment withdrew to Gachinsk, and when we started out thither the next day, Krasnov's staff were already virtually prisoners of the Cossacks themselves. Our Gachinsk garrison was holding all the most important military positions. The Cossacks, on the other hand, though not yet disarmed, were absolutely in no position for further resistance. They wanted but one thing, 
to be allowed as soon as possible to return to the Don region or, at least, back to the front. Gachinsk Palace presented a curious sight. At every entrance stood a special guard, while at the gates were artillery and armored cars. Sailors, soldiers and red guards occupied the royal apartments, decorated with precious paintings. Scattered upon the tables, made of expensive wood, lay soldiers' clothes, pipes and empty sardine boxes. In one of the rooms, General Krasnov's staff had established itself. On the floor lay mattresses, caps and greatcoats. The representative of the Revolutionary War Committee, who escorted us, entered the quarters of the general staff, noisily dropped his rifle butt to the floor and, resting upon it, announced, General Krasnov, you and your staff are prisoners of the Soviet authorities. Immediately, armed red guards barred both doors. Kerensky was nowhere to be seen. He had again fled, as he had done before from the Winter Palace. As to the circumstances attending this flight, General Krasnov made a written statement on November the 1st. I cite here in full this curious document. November the 1st, 1917, 19 o'clock. About 15 o'clock today, I was summoned by the Supreme Commander-in-Chief, Kerensky. He was very agitated and nervous. General, he said, you have betrayed me. Your Cossacks here positively say that they will arrest me and turn me over to the sailors. Yes, I answered. There is talk about it, and I know that you have no sympathizers here at all. But are the officers, too, of the same mind? Yes, the officers are especially dissatisfied with you. Then what am I to do? I'll have to commit suicide. If you are an honest man, you will proceed immediately to Petrograd under a flag of truce and report to the Revolutionary Committee, where you will talk things over as the head of the government. Yes, I'll do that, General. I will furnish a guard for you and will ask that a sailor accompany you. No, anyone but a sailor. Don't you know that Dibenko is here? No, I don't know who Dibenko is. He is an enemy of mine. Well, that can't be helped. When one plays for great stakes, he must be prepared to lose all. All right, only I shall go at night. Why, that will be flight. Go calmly and openly, so that everyone can see you are fleeing. Well, all right, only you must provide me a dependable convoy. All right. I went and called out a Cossack from the 10th Don Cossack Regiment, a certain Riskov, and ordered him to appoint eight Cossacks to guard the Supreme Commander-in-Chief. Half an hour later, the Cossacks came and reported that Kerensky had gone already, that he had fled. I gave an alarm and ordered a search for him. I believe that he cannot have escaped from Gachinsk and must now be in hiding here somewhere. Commanding the Third Corps, Major General Krasnov. Thus ended this undertaking. Our opponents still would not yield, however, and did not admit that the question of government power was settled. They continued to base their hopes on the front. Many leaders of the former Soviet parties... Chernov, Seratelli, Avkentiev, Gotz, and others went to the front, 
entered into negotiations with the old army committees, and according to newspaper reports, tried even in the camp to form a new ministry. All this came to naught. The old army committees had lost all their significance, and intensive work was going on at the front in connection with the conferences and councils called for the purpose of reorganizing all army organizations. In these re-elections, the Soviet government was everywhere victorious. From Guchinsk, our divisions proceeded along the railroad further in the direction of the Luga River and Peskov. On the way, they met a few more trainloads of shock troops and Cossacks, which had been called out by Kerensky, or which individual generals had sent over. With one of these echelons, there was even an armed encounter. But most of the soldiers that were sent from the front to Petrograd declared, as soon as they met with representatives of the Soviet forces, that they had been deceived and that they would not lift a finger against the government of soldiers and working men. End of chapter 20